Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today, we have my buddy Drew Powers on the show, and the reason I have him on is not because he's a great financial advisor, particularly to people in the medical and dental industries. It's not because he is the king of Naperville, Illinois, which is a quite a large city in Illinois, for those of you who don't know. No, those aren't the reasons why I have Drew Powers on the show today. I have Drew Powers on the show because he just asked me if we could be funny. So if you've got nothing else to do, you need to spend the next half hour with us because I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes. All I know is I'm going to have a good time. Drew's probably going to have a good time. And those of you who are listening, eh, I don't know what I can promise you beyond the fact that you're going to see two guys having a good time. So, Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Tell us, how did you get started advising particularly people in the medical field, although you work with entrepreneurs too, how did you get started advising these folks on how to prepare for retirement? Yeah, Dave, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, how did I get started with medical and dental professionals? I think it was when I was a career changer and it was one of the first projects that I worked on was working with medical and dental residents. And I found it's just a really cool group of people to work with. They, they go from making very little money to a lot of money, literally overnight. And they have a lot of needs that I can help solve, um, you know, right away in their careers. So you're, you know, I was, I was playing around on your, on your website and you have a special section just for residents. What yeah. do, so what do residents need to know? First, explain to people who are kind of uninitiated, people who don't know anything about the medical profession, what a resident is and why, why do you, why, why do you single them out? Why is it important that you get to them at that point in their career? Yeah, it's such an important point in a doctor's career. So Everybody goes to undergrad, then they go to med school, now they're an MD, they are a doctor, but then they go to residency, and beyond that, maybe even a fellowship to establish their specialty. So when you go in to see the you know ears, ears nose, and throat doctor, right, your otolaryngologist, that person spent another five to seven years after medical school learning all about ears, nose, and throat. And why do I like working with that group? It's because if we can get somebody off on the right foot, then they are going to be miles ahead towards their goals than somebody who just kind of comes out and flounders around for a while. Because remember, these doctors have tons of debt. They train, like I just said, right? There's, there's medical school, then there's residency and fellowship, right? They, they don't graduate and start working until they're 30 to 35. A neurosurgeon may not actually work or practice as a neurosurgeon until they're almost 40. They're already 15 years behind all of our attorney friends. Yeah, so what, uh, so the, how do you... How do you counsel somebody who's like right in the thick of that, right? So they're, they got this debt that's like, it's like somebody chasing them, right? They got a huge mountain of debt, $200,000, maybe even more chasing them down. And they're still looking at another year or two before they make real money. So you get to them and you're like, listen, you know, in a, in a few years, you're going to be making seven figures and you're going to want to, you know, you're going to want to 
handle yourself a little bit differently than you're taking care of your finances right now. Do they get it when you when you meet them at that point in their career? Can they see past the 18 hour days, the 20 hour days they have ahead of them right now to that point where they're going to have that level of financial security? Or are they just so overwhelmed that they're like, OK, Drew, I'll do I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just I got to get through this. It'd be nice if, if we got that second one. I'll just do whatever you want me to do. But yeah, usually they can't comprehend that they are about to make in four to six weeks in practice, what they made for the, an entire year of residency. It, 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 they can't even imagine it. They can't imagine one, like the, the level of opportunities they're going to have. And two, the level of risk that that presents because people live within their means too often. They live over their means, but if they're living within their means, that's a lot of means. Uh, you know, and there's there's a whole layer of protection there that they need to take care of while they're young, while they're healthy, lock it in for the rest of their career. You know, that's typically the first step with those residents. So I would imagine that uh, one of the first things you probably tell them to think about is disability insurance, because we're, we're all more likely to be when we're younger, we're more likely to be disabled than we are to be killed or, you know, and everybody thinks about life insurance, especially if you got a family. But few people, especially entrepreneurs, uh, and I'm wondering if it's the same for doctors, they don't think about, well, what happens if, you know, I'm, you know, hammering a nail at home and I crush my hand and I can't be a surgeon anymore, or I'm chopping wood and all of a sudden I, you know, I cut off a finger and I can't be a surgeon. So is, is that one of the first things you talk to them about is disability insurance? That is the absolute first thing we discuss because there's not really money to go around for anything else. Uh, insurance carriers offer medical residents and fellows discounts that they're not going to get once they're in practice, right? The insurance companies like to get them young as well, right? They're, they're going to pay premiums for a long time. They, that's a good customer for an insurance company. So they're willing to give discounts. And I think when we're talking about other entrepreneurs, disability insurance is by far the number one gap in their financial plan entrepreneurs don't understand it. A lot of financial advisors don't deal with disability insurance. It's a very complicated insurance product. The nice thing about physicians, surgeons, dentists is it is hammered into their heads that you have to go get your disability coverage. So then it's just educating them on here's all the different carriers. Here's all your different options. Here's how we can design a policy. And now let's put one in place. So what are, what are they, what do you, like, how do they pick disability insurance? Is there, are you eligible for, you're eligible for what your income currently is, right? You can't, you can't insure future income. How, how does it work? So you're talking to somebody now who, you know, who's, who's a resident, they're not making huge money yet. What type of disability insurance do they get? Like, do they get enough disability insurance to at least be able to move out of their parents' basement if something happens to them? Like, what? Ha how, do they, how do you insure somebody who has a higher future value than they have present value? Yeah, this is one concession that the insurance companies will give medical and dental students and residents um, that they will not give other professions. So we can insure a resident for anywhere from 6000 to 7500 in tax-free monthly benefit 
even though that's way more than they earn on a pre-tax basis. So they are willing to ensure some future earnings. And disability insurance has a feature where as your income goes up, you can purchase more coverage in that policy by just proving your income. You don't have to have proof of good health. And that's a very important rider. That's a future purchase rider, future insurability option. They all call it something different, but that's a very important feature for a resident. So shift gears for a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the medical profession, what if somebody's like self-employed, right? How do they how do they prove their income? Do they just turn their their financial statements for their for their LLC over if they're self-employed? Yeah, Ta just your personal okay. tax returns. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And if you're the business owner, maybe they want 3 years of returns to see some history versus just one, but yeah, very easy to do. Okay. All right. So disability insurance is really important, especially for people who, uh, you know, who they, they make their living actually being practitioners. So medical, dental professionals. Is it um, is it more is it more difficult to insure a specific type of medical professional than another? Like are surgeons more difficult to insure than general practitioners? Are doctors more difficult to insure than dentists? Like who is it, does it make a difference? It does to a point. Every single occupation under the sun is assigned an occupation class and some occupation classes are more risky than others. So if you are, for instance, a neurologist who really never gets out from behind a desk, you are very inexpensive to insure versus an ER doc or an anesthesiologist where it's high stress and, and, and there's a lot of action going on. Those are more expensive. And, you know, even then, like we, we have all types of occupation classes for all other occupations. So even you know, the, the people who come to fix your air conditioner and your furnace, right? There's an occupation class for that. And there's an occupation class for teachers and for attorneys and, and, and every occupation you can think of. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about retirement now. So yeah. these, these, these people get out of their residency, they get, they have a practice, the practice has been functioning for five years. They're doing great. Maybe it's them and uh, you know a, a nurse or two, and then a medical assistant, and then an office manager. That's pretty much the entire staff, right? Maybe they maybe they have a bookkeeper, maybe they outsource bookkeeping, but you're talking about a staff of maybe maximum eight to ten people. What do they do for retirement? Do they do they typically bring in a retirement plan for everybody on the team, and then they have you know a, a separate high wage earner category for themselves? Do they just get a retirement plan for themselves and let everybody else do what they do with it, whatever they want to do? Like, how does it work in the medical field or in dentistry? Sure. So medicine, dentistry, even law firms, I work with a number of attorneys. When we can get a couple of partners and a staff, the world is open to us. Because we can get those two partners or four partners or five partners to agree on a certain level of retirement planning through the practice or through the firm that, that by the time you have 100 partners or 1,000 partners, you're not going to get that level of, of agreement ever. Mm -hmm. so, so what you're describing is, for me, a, a perfect situation 
let's have a couple of doctors or attorneys, let's have a staff. And then, yeah, they, they do. They, they put it through the business. Everybody understands the typical 401k profit sharing type model. And we know that we have to give our employees a match or a certain percentage, and that's just table stakes. And hopefully the employees are thinking enough to, to contribute themselves. But then above and beyond that, there are all kinds of pre-tax, post-tax, uh, ERISA-governed plans that we can put in place and carve out just the business owners or perhaps allow the business owners to put in a huge amount of income and only be required to put a small amount for their employees. Now, they can always put in more, but they're only required to do a small amount. And so when we get a small group of practice opens, uh, practice owners, literally the world of planning opens up. Yeah, and they can, so they can pay themselves a salary and then essentially put away the bulk of the proceeds that, that you know, they would normally take as distributions for a future time when they're going to, in theory, be in a lower tax bracket, right? And then they withdraw when they're in a lower tax bracket. I, I know some people who put away like seven figures worth of worth of uh, you know compensation, so to speak, because they don't they don't need it to live. Their you know their living expenses are fixed. Their kids are either out of college or you know the college is funded another way, so their living expenses are fixed. They take home what they need and a little bit of a a little bit more so that they have some discretionary income. But then they put all the rest of the money that they would normally take in distributions into uh into a plan like that and basically they're going to withdraw it when they're in a much lower tax bracket when they don't have any any income that's the that's the strategy right possibly um okay. you know i i think what tax brackets are going to be in the future is debatable um yeah. you know i think taxes are going to have to go up dramatically if we are going to pay the promises that we've made to the citizens of this country uh you know and and I, taxes are historically low now. I, I really don't think that my clients are going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Mm, so, okay. you know, and then part of what I think you were leading to was also something that might be called a deferred comp plan where you're right. kind of keeping the money in the business. And for my clients, my clients are all highly likely to be sued at some point. And so I want something with more creditor protection than just a simple deferred comp plan because the deferred comp plan is compensation that hasn't been paid. It's owned by the practice. And so if the practice is found liable for something, all of that compensation that you deferred is just sitting out there in the open. Ooh, yeah, so, I don't like that. Yeah, so I avoid those. What what a lot of, um, a lot of people don't understand is that there are creditor protected plans, ERISA governed plans, and there are ways to stuff in seven figures. If you have a 50 year old, we can get 55 year old, we can easily get seven figures of income into one of these plans and have it completely creditor protected at the federal level. So Drew, you mentioned that there are these plans that are called ERISA plans, like nobody cares what ERISA stands for. What, what do they allow people to do that make them so valuable to the work that you do with your clients. Right. So when I'm mentioning ERISA plans, these are the these are the set of laws that created, say, the 401k, 403b type type plans. And 
at, and these are creditor protected at the federal level, meaning that if you are sued, your creditors cannot get to these funds. Think of a great example, and I, I, I hate to make this example, but O.J. Simpson has a civil suit against him, and they can't collect a penny of it because his NFL pension is federally creditor-protected. So it's this same kind of thing. Let's take that 401k and profit sharing, and then let's add on a pension. This is a defined benefit plan. The most common is called a cash balance plan. Well, there are different ways to build these where instead of the normal, say, $250,000 that you can put away pre-tax as a 50-year-old, we can easily get five, six, seven hundred thousand pre-tax, all in this plan, all creditor protected. Then we've created a problem because now we've got this pre-tax money that's growing tax deferred. And what did we just say? What did I just say about taxes? I think taxes are going to go up. So now we have to have strategies for buying assets out of that plan, hopefully at a discount and create tax-free income in retirement. Mm. So what, what would you do in that case? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you buy the assets at a discount and avoid the taxes that you, you know, you're going to get hammered with? Sure. So some of the assets that we're going to put into this defined benefit plan just naturally can be bought back out of the plan at a discount. And there's a whole formula for that. And we need the actuaries. That's math. that's above my pay grade. Um, mm -hmm. But once we have that math, then we know that we can buy some of these assets out at a discount. After that, then it's, you know, charitable planning. Anything that can create a deduction today without necessarily giving up the rights to the money while we're alive. So let's create some huge deductions and then convert some of that pre-tax money to post-tax. So everybody knows of a Roth IRA conversion. We're just mm -hmm. doing that on a grander scale. Okay. All right. So uh, you said something really interesting. So any 55-year-old or older right now, just out of the blue, can put $250,000 into one of these plans and they're, and they're fine. If they make more than that, that's when, the, that's when you move them to one of these ERISA-protected uh, plans that they can put you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars away. And then when it comes time to, to withdraw the money, you have a plan in place so that they pay less taxes when it's time for them to, to withdraw the money. All right, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, about insurance for a few minutes because I think that people... Most people don't like to think about their death. We talked a little bit about disability already. But what, you know, typically a high net worth person, I, I've heard all different sorts of things like high net worth people. Well, they don't need insurance because, you know, they're, they're you know, they have plenty of money. Their estate's going to take care of things. But they really do need, you know, high net worth people often will use particularly like whole life insurance as a as a strategy for uh, for sheltering some of their money from taxes. What, when people talk about that, Drew, what are they talking about? What does that mean? Sure. So there's, there's all kinds of reasons why somebody would have life insurance, even if you're wealthy. Because really, by definition, insurance is going to pay out a multiple of what you put into it. 
And what wealthy high net worth person do we know didn't use any leverage while building their business or their practice or their wealth, right? Let's leverage the insurance company's money. Um, you mentioned whole life insurance. Whole life insurance is one type of permanent insurance. There's also universal life. There's indexed universal life, variable, fixed, guaranteed, second to die, right? There's all these different kinds of permanent life insurance that have a cash value component. And the cash value grows tax-free and can come out of the policy tax-free when you do it right. And so, you know, whole life is, is quote-unquote expensive because you're paying for a lot of guarantees and that might be worth it to you. But even a more common strategy, even for some younger um, high-income earners, is we could buy the minimum amount of insurance and then put in way more money than what we would normally do, right? Most people are trying to buy the most amount of insurance for the least amount of money. We're going to flip that. We're going to put in the most amount of money for the least amount of death benefit. And there's a whole tax code section on this and there's testing and there's, you know, what keeps those those tax benefits alive. So whatever the internal revenue code lets us put in, that's what we're going to put in and have way more of that money going to cash value rather than paying for a death benefit. Does that make sense? So then it's sheltered. Yeah. It's sheltered from, it's sheltered from taxes. Um, and mm -hmm. you can pull it out and you can that's pull it out. Idea. Right. The whole idea yeah. of this policy is not to build a death benefit. Right. It's to accumulate cash Right, it's to accumulate that cash value so you can take it back out, and then depending on your state of residence, these can also be creditor protected. Or right. if you're going to ask about that, yeah, yeah. Or if you're going to do a large enough amount that makes it worth it to get an attorney and create a trust, you can put these things in say, a trust yeah. and now have extra creditor protection in a state that doesn't otherwise afford it. Right, right. But it would have to be it would have to be an it would have to be an irrevocable trust, right? It would have to be a trust that's in somebody else's name in order to in order to be so you it would so the the death benefit would go to the trust and the trust would be the beneficiary of the trust could be your kids or it could be, you know, some third party and it would be untouchable from uh from creditors at that point. This is where I, I hesitate to answer the questions on trust, yeah, I, right? I'm, because because we need attorneys for these yeah. things, right? Obviously, right. obviously, it's not Drew Powers giving you this advice. Dave Lorenzo says, "Go nuts, go ahead and do it, and whatever <laughs> right. happens, yes, happens." Exactly. Because I'm not an attorney; I'm just a guy with a microphone, right? So well, that's when you're listening yeah. to me for your retirement advice. You've got bigger problems <laughs> than creditors coming after you. Quite the, frankly, this is where um, we find some of the past guests that you've had, right? Some of our good friends. <laughs> Who know yes, how to set up this kind of thing for estate planning and charitable planning and, and retirement planning, right? This is right. this is the where we bring in the attorney. People are screaming at their phones right now as they listen to this going, Dave and Drew, <laughs> don't give that kind of advice. What are you, stupid? Yes, yes. I'm not the stupid one. Again, it's the people who would take my advice on retirement right. that are the stupid ones. <laughs> Again, to be clear, I did not give that advice. <laughs>
<laughs> Drew Powers gave none of, none of the advice of the past segment. Only Dave Lorenzo. Go nuts! Hit a hit a family of six. Kill them with your car. Your assets are fine. No, everything is going to be okay. All right, let's let's talk a little bit now about. Um, and by the way, if you couldn't tell, folks, we were just joking there. That was harmless, harmless jokes. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, now about how you how you get your business, Drew. Uh, what percentage of your business comes to you by referral? So I've been doing this for 14, 15 years. At this point, a large percentage comes from referrals. I guess uh, I'm going to shamefully admit that I don't really track uh, where so the business comes in. 76% <laughs> right. of your business. Well, 76% as, of your business. As we <laughs> all know, 68.4% of all statistics are just made up. So, yeah. I, you know, I think it'd be safe. Drew Powers gets, Drew Powers gets 76% of his business by referral. I, I think three quarters is fair. Three quarters is fair. And then, you know, I have some relationships well, with some residency programs where, you know, I'm, I'm, granted some access to the residents and that, you know, giving some kind of talks and, um, you know, sometimes just blind internet email spamming, you know, type marketing. Yeah. I mean, listen, people, uh, people are hungry for knowledge and, you know, when you do education based marketing, you're going to, you're going to be a resource for people regardless of their industry or their profession. So when, when people are referring you, what do they, what do they need to be listening for? So you're, you're hanging around, you know, you're, you're watching a football game with your friends and one of my friends says this, and that's how I know I got to call Drew. What, do, what does my friend say so that I know I got to connect him with you? Yeah, maybe football season isn't the best time, but let's say we're watching uh, early season baseball. Okay. If it's mid-April, early May, and the tax bill comes up and your friend isn't absolutely giddy, I mean giggling, about how little they paid in taxes versus how much money they made, and they own their own business, then there is likely a million things that they could be doing different or better. Yeah, yeah. Now, Drew, do you? I, I work with a lot of uh, with a lot of people who have relationships with financial advisors already, and they're not happy. Is it better for you to be the second or the third financial advisor that they've worked with so they're kind of already broken in? Like they already, they know that there are professionals who are going to give advice and they're just like in every other profession, there are different degrees of professionals, right? So would you prefer to have somebody come to you who's already had a starter relationship with a financial advisor or would you prefer them to be like brand new and come to you right from the get-go? That's a tough one. That is a tough one because... When they're brand new, I have to spend a lot of time on not just like financial 101, but a lot of times it's financial 090. Like, let, let's get you up to speed. I, I'll give you a great example. I was just giving a presentation for orthodontics residents. And I, had, I just threw up a graph and I said, this is the S&P 500. And just kind of talking about market movements over time and... Thank God they did. But one one resident raised her hand and she said, what's an S&P? And yeah. I thought, oh, gosh, you know, like I just thought this was 
this was known. So there's a lot of getting people up to speed. And the flip side of that is if they've already worked with someone, there's a lot of times what I'll call financial triage. There's a lot of wounds there. There, you know, especially if our styles aren't exactly the same. And if our styles are exactly the same, you probably wouldn't be upset with your financial guy. So a lot of times there's a lot of re-educating and re-educating can sometimes be harder. Um, I'll tell you what, you come across somebody who's never worked with a financial advisor or someone who's unhappy, just send them my way and we'll figure it out together. <laughs> How's that? All right. That's great. Let's talk a little bit now about, um, about what they need to, what they need to bring to you in order for you to make sure that you're able to give them the best advice. So when somebody sits down with you, what do they need to, what do they need to have ready? I mean, they may, may not need it for the first meeting. It's just getting to know you, but eventually when you work together, you're going to need a bunch of documents. You're going to need access to some stuff. What do you need? What do they need to share with you in order for you to analyze where they are and understand how you can help them? Yeah, this is one place where I think technology and technology that has accelerated over the last couple of years really helps. You don't have to bring in anything. We, we can probably get your login and tie it to a financial planning piece of software and have real-time data at our fingertips with just... You know, I think they call it screen scraping technology. It's just you're allowing that financial planning software to go in and see a balance and see holdings, not necessarily make transactions. And, you know, so maybe your passwords, <laughs> that's, that's what you need to bring in. So once we can okay. get all of your financial documents, loans, credit cards, mortgages, business notes, right? The more of that we can get, right from the beginning, the better. And nobody ever has all of that at their fingertips. And so that's fine too. Bring what you have and then we can start working based on the information we, we, we have at that moment. All right, let's, let's talk now to some of the different groups that could potentially connect people with you. Let's start with uh, like trust and estates attorneys, right? Estate right. planning attorneys. So an estate planning attorney is sitting down with his client and or her client and they're putting together an estate plan what what do they need to what what will they hear so that they know man i gotta get this guy or this gal over to drew like immediately what is an estate planning attorney gonna hear that's gonna trigger them to go to go see drew let's let's make the assumption they're already working with somebody else but there's a hole in their plan somewhere how is the estate planning attorney going to identify the hole in that plan? What, what are they going to hear? What are they going to see? Yeah, I've, I've seen a million different estate plan intake forms. And depending on how detailed that is, of course, if you have a high income earner and they don't have their own disability insurance policy, then they are being underserved. They have a huge amount of risk. The group policy at work does not cover you if you earn six figures. Just period, point blank. You have a huge gap. I am sure that every estate planning attorney or their staff has gone through the struggle of trying to get documents, trying to, oh, I think I've got a 401k here. I think there was an IRA or you know some account here and they don't really know, then they are likely being underserved. They should know what they have. They should have it at their fingertips. You know, these are all things that I can provide. When the estate planning attorney says, 
you know, what, where's your life insurance policy? And they say, oh, I don't have one. Mm. If you're going to get estate planning, you clearly have enough that you need insurance and you probably need a good bit of insurance. You know, so, you know, all, anytime there's these things missing in the plan, that should be a red flag. Um, and I think the bigger problem with estate planning is a lot of times the clients get the estate plan and then nothing ever happens. We, they never change the beneficiary designation on their IRAs, 401ks, life insurance. They never retitle the brokerage accounts. They never retitle the house. You know, these are all things where maybe if you're having a review and your client says, oh yeah, I never changed anything, then send them my way. You know, because yeah. I have a system for that and I have a good record keeping system to make sure that, you know, should the insurance company or the custodian of those funds lose those documents, I have a copy, the attorney has a copy, signed in wet ink that we can pass on to somebody and, and prove that this is where the money was meant to go. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a really important point. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, that for a second. What, what a, like, what do couples, right? Spouses, what do they need to, how do they need to handle these types of situations so that the surviving spouse has access? Cause I know a lot of couples where one person takes care of all the financial planning, right? And maybe they have everything written down in a desk drawer somewhere and, you know, I'm at an age now where the people that I people I know who are married, one spouse has untimely passed away, and we're going through the the office looking for the information that this person is going to need to take care of the family. We know it's there somewhere. So what do what's the what's the process like? Does do you know do do does a couple like like does a husband have to give you permission to talk to the wife about finances? I mean, usually you would think they would come in together, right? So how does it work when it's a husband and a wife and something happens, they both have access to you, right? Yeah, it typically they are both coming in at the same time and we're all talking at once. And of course, if the husband is naming the wife the beneficiary and vice versa, then of course there's just this assumed right that we get to talk to the beneficiaries. I do have a lot of clients, right? Doctors, attorneys, they like to do it themselves. I, I have a lot of clients who do this stuff themselves and then they just want me to put them through a process of organization and as a as a second opinion and just, just double check on everything. And I, I've got a whole process for this. Um, just organizing the records, making sure that whoever has access has access or whoever's supposed to has have access has the access and they know where it is so that you're not, you know, think of that's got to be the worst thing to be a new widow and then have your friends come over and dig through desk drawers to find, try to find passwords and documents, right? That's heartbreaking. Um, you know, we'll have all of that stuff set up so that everybody has access to whatever they need. Right. 
right? Yeah, you know, you want to have your. So we have, uh, you know, you know, like our system is. I have a Google Drive folder that says critical information, right? And in, under critical information, there's everything from, you know, there's like pretty mundane stuff, like, you know, here's our car insurance policy. Here's, you know, here's the, you know, this is the bank where the safe deposit box is. This is a safe deposit box number. Uh, you know, and my wife knows where the where the extra key is and, and all that. Just the, the Monday, here's the guy who cuts the grass. Right. Like, all the stuff that, like, I take care of that she doesn't really care about, right? But then there's, like, the phone number. So here's, the, here's our financial guy. Here's his phone number. And I don't have the account numbers and everything in there. You just call this guy, and he gives you everything you need. Right. That's, you know, that's the extent of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and part of that, and that's, that's a great, that's a great, start Dave to a system, but why not just upload all of that stuff to your wealth management portal that I'm sure your financial advisor has. And does your estate planning attorney have a copy of this stuff? I'm sure that they will throw this into a file somewhere. And now you've got multiple people who know how to handle these situations with access. So you have it, your wife has it, two advisors have it, maybe more. Everybody can help everybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's you know that's such a that's such a great point, and you know th- those of you who are listening or watching this, there's there's one other thing I will tell you, separate and apart from what Drew handles. If you're in a professional services practice, someone ha- there has to be a plan somewhere for what happens with the practice if you pass away, because I've had more than one client. Unfortunately, I've had I've had five over the last I don't know decade who have passed away and nobody in the firm knows what to do because they were the only principal, right? They're a sole practitioner. And even the person who's the office manager doesn't know how to access, you know, the trust account or doesn't know where the, you know, where the catalog of open files are. Okay. So we've, we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground here right now, Drew. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you to think of three things that people should take away from our time together. Three important things that people should remember. I'm going to give you a minute to think about that while you're thinking about it. I'm going to let the folks who are listening, the folks who are watching know if you want a business development plan, if you want a plan for your practice, you want a plan for your professional firm, I've got it for you. And it's absolutely free. All you need to do is go to this website, Revenue Roadmap Guide.com. Revenue Roadmap Guide.com. You enter your contact info there and you can download your free business development plan. It's the same plan I use with my clients. You can use it in your professional practice today to plan out your business development plan for the next 12 to 24 months. Revenue Roadmap Guide.com. Enter your contact info there. You can download your business development plan, the guide for you to grow your business, to grow your practice. If you want to reach out to Drew Powers, I'm going to give you a number you can call so that you can reach him. His number is 630-862-1003, 630-862-1003, or you can go to powersfg.com, P-O-W-E-R-S-F-G.com, or you can email him, drew at powersfg.com, 630-862-1003. All right, Drew. What are the three things that people should take away from our time together today? Sure. So the first one that I I want to highlight is that, again, if you make a high income and you're not absolutely giddy about the amount of taxes you pay, 
and you have the ability to save money. I can't, we can't just magically create deductions. You actually have to be willing to save the money, but if these conditions exist and you're not absolutely giddy, there's more that you could be doing as a business owner. And these are the types of plans that I put in place for my clients. That's number one. Number two, if you aren't 100% sure that you are adequately insured, both for yourself, your family, your business, your business partners, I am happy to review that with you at any time. Anybody who is not 100% insured, uh, certain about their level of insurance, should go and get an insurance review from somebody. And then the third part that we didn't really touch on, but this is a common piece of advice that I'm giving to my clients because so many of them are practice owners, law firm owners, small business owners. The, the line that I always use is that if you own a small business and you own a lawnmower, you're messing it up. You need to be focused on putting another patient in your chair, getting another client in your office, making another sale. You need to focus on your practice and then leverage the extensive network that I have, that you have, and find other service providers to take care of everything else. You know, that third tip is that uh, that's money in the bank right there. You So there's there's two things you should be doing if you're listening to this, to this show. Number one is growing your business, taking care of your business, and number two is taking care of your family. Everything else should be outsourced. Like, I, I'll tell you, so I, you never saw a happier person than the day that we started letting people come back into our house during the pandemic. I was so sick of cleaning the house. I was so sick of skimming the damn pool that the day we let people come back into our environment was one of the happiest days I've had in a very long time. It is no like the, the your analogy of owning a lawnmower if you're a doctor or a dentist, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. That time spent, spend the 35 bucks to have somebody cut your grass every other week or whatever, and use that time to grow your practice. Use that time to take a course. Use that time to call patients and reactivate them. Use that time to train your office staff. There's, there's a hundred things you could be doing that are more productive than doing stuff that is not either helping you with your business or spending the time with your family that you earn by establishing this practice, establishing this business for yourself. Those of you who want more of Drew Power's wisdom, call him at 630-862-1003, 630-862-1003. Or if you're, if you're just well awake in the middle of the night <laughs> and you want to call somebody and talk to them, call 630-862-1003. Drew always answers his phone. If you've got a question about insurance, 2 o'clock in the morning, who's the guy to call? Give him a call today. Drew, thanks so much for being on the show. It was wonderful to have you. You gave us a lot of pearls of wisdom, and I'm sure our audience appreciated it. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dave. All right, that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.